Jesus. We proclaim your power, your glory. Be exalted. Be lifted high in this place tonight. We thank you for your power and glory. And we thank you for your humility. Not thinking of your glory that you had with the Father, but forsaking that to take on flesh, to become a servant, to become like us in every way, tempted in every way, and without sin. living a perfect life, fulfilling the law so that you could be the perfect sacrifice. So we're celebrating your birth, your entrance, your arrival in such a quiet ordinary way to ordinary people just like us but then to do something extraordinary for us so we thank you Jesus We thank you for your quiet humility. God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. We lift high your name because you're worthy. And we're looking forward to the day when you will come back in power, in glory. But today we thank you for your birth, for your humility. We pray now for Pastor Rick as he opens your word Give him boldness to proclaim it. Give us ears to hear. Ears to hear something new in this familiar story. That you would reveal to us Jesus. And that you would help us to set our affections upon him. To enjoy him. As he truly is to be enjoyed. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts to illuminate your word. And not only give us ears to hear, but then give us hands to do what your word says. And it's in Jesus' mighty and humble name that all God's people said, amen.
and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're able to join us on this very, very special day. It's a time that we get to celebrate Christ's birth. This is a wonderful story, but it's a story that is so, shall I say, familiar. But before we look at this story, I'd like you to focus on a verse. Again, a very familiar verse. It's in John chapter 3. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, once again, we come before you because we need your help. We need you, Father, to teach us We need you to convict us. Lord, this story is is an amazing story. But we've seen thousands of nativity scenes over our lives. What makes that so special? Why does it show your love so well? So, God, we ask that you would open our hearts over these next few minutes. Father, we know that there are so many different churches all over the world. They're proclaiming your word. They're celebrating your son's birth in all different venues and cathedrals and in churches and in basements. We know, God, that you will be lifted up. And we pray for your church that it would be strengthened and it would be empowered and it would be faithful. In spite of the pressures, in spite of all the scenarios that are going on in our world, we pray especially, Father, for some churches that are part of our conference, their brother and sister churches, We pray for New Hope, and we pray for North Point, and we pray, Father, for Grace Point. We know, God, that each one of these flocks love you, and pray that you would even encourage them this weekend, and that they would be faithful to proclaim who you are and shine your light. Father, we also know that there are some faithful workers downstairs And we pray, dear God, that you would work in them and that our kids would learn who you are. We thank you again for their faithfulness. Lord, we also know that our world's quite a mess right now. And there are so many wars and so many dysfunctions. And Lord, we we pray now that our world would see you clearly, the Prince of Peace. We pray all these things, Father, in your Son's precious name. 
Amen. Amen. Long before a baby's cry was heard in the town of Bethlehem, God had a plan, a plan to redeem his people who had gone astray. For centuries, God's people had offered sacrifices to cover up their sins and to keep them in fellowship with God. No matter how hard they tried, their sacrifices could never take their sins away. Because of our sins, we couldn't get close to God, so God would come to us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Yes, God would provide a spotless lamb. He would send his perfect, righteous son to take away the sin of the world. It was a precious gift that we can never buy with money. A savior, a spotless lamb, an only son. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God invading our world in the gentlest of ways, as a child in a lowly manger. Yes, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. He humbled himself and came as a helpless child. He placed himself in the care of young, inexperienced, imperfect parents, a man and woman whom he had fashioned with his own two hands. In the city of David, a Savior has been born to us. He is the Messiah. The Lord, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The king of creation loved us so much that he humbled himself and became a man. His coming was foretold through many generations. So when the day came that the Messiah would finally come, even the stars would celebrate his birth. God's plan included Mary, Joseph, an innkeeper, Simeon, Anna, Herod, and the Magi. God orchestrated his plan perfectly so the world would hear the good news. God even arranged for the lowly Bethlehem shepherds to be the first ones to see the fulfillment on his promises. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, goodwill towards men. Yes, the angels who invited the shepherds to come see the Christ child proclaimed peace and goodwill. But the birth of Jesus was only God's first step for the plan of salvation. The tiny baby that Mary held in her arms would grow in the grace and the wisdom of the Lord. Mary and her husband Joseph watched as Jesus became a man, and all too soon he left home to begin his ministry. See, Jesus' birth was just the beginning of God's plan to bring us back to him. Sin had carved a deep chasm between us and a perfect God, so it would take a perfect sacrifice to span that chasm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came to us as a child, but his mission was to teach us how to serve and worship his Father and to fulfill God's promise to provide himself a lamb on the cross. Jesus is the bridge God built to bring us back into perfect fellowship with him. In Jesus, we are justified by grace. We are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This year, let's celebrate Christmas with joy and reverence, knowing that God had a plan to redeem mankind from all their sins, and it all started with a baby's cry in a little town of Bethlehem. Yes, God had a plan, and his name is Jesus, the promised king, a Messiah who would take away the sins of the world. Christ is born today. Glory to God in the highest. Amen. His plan to save the world didn't make sense to us and certainly didn't make sense to the players. But as you will see, God orchestrates this plan perfectly. Let's try and imagine, if you would, with me, Mary and Joseph. 
gazing at Jesus laying in a manger. This is the nativity scene. This is what so many of you have seen over these last days and weeks and years. We've seen it hundreds of times. But let's read from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 6. And while we were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. We read that verse, but need to recognize that so much had to happen in order for this to take place. Over these next few minutes, we're going to look at how God's perfect plan of salvation unfolded as it's found in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. You know, we are first introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. And our story, at least today, begins here. We are told that this older couple, and again, not told how old, just that they are very old. They walked with God in spite of being childless. I say that because of the shame and the hurt that infertility brought families in a Jewish community. We learn in Luke that Zechariah was a priest. And this day, this priest was doing normal. Which simply meant he was in the temple. And at this moment, he was lighting some incense. And then it happened. An angel of the Lord appeared. (laughs) As you can imagine, this shook him up. In fact, the scriptures say that he was shaken and overwhelmed with fear. We would probably say he was scared spitless. Gabriel's message came quickly and said, don't be afraid. You and your wife are going to have a son. God has given this son a special mission. Now, before we go further, did I mention they were barren and really old? Well, the question came quickly from Zechariah. How? How? I, I, I know there's an angel here. I know the angel is talking to me, but... How is this going to happen? As you read the scriptures here, Gabriel, the angel, took offense. He said, I am Gabriel. It's probably not sounding too much like a very authoritative angel right there, but but I tried. I'm God's messenger. Well, at that moment, Zechariah knew that the angel meant business. And Zechariah went home mute, and Elizabeth became pregnant. Whoa. As you can imagine, she was one grateful, energized granny. All right? Then Dr. Luke tells us about Mary. Now, now so many, again, have heard the story of Mary, but this story even gets more bizarre than Zechariah. And Elizabeth's. 
Gabriel also paid Mary a visit when she was about 14. Now, some of you may be looking at the screen and saying, hmm, that's an interesting Mary. It comes from the movie The Star, but realistically, almost all the artwork that I find about Mary, she just seems a little old, okay? Um, Mary was probably only 14, 15 years old, and she was a young teenager. So we're going to use this artwork, and especially for the kids today, they'll, they'll enjoy that. But the culture was a bit different. Again, most of the time, when gals became 13, 14, or 15, um, they were pledged to be married. And maybe we could put it in our cultural situation a little better. Maybe it'd be after high school or after college now. And, and again, might be ready, a little bit more ready for this. But I want to share this with you, is that all Mary knew about God came before her 14th birthday. In other words, I, I just want to say this. Jesus's, or, or Mary's parents, rocked. They did. They taught Mary unbelievably well. She knew about God. She understood about God. She maybe not understood everything. But can you imagine back when you were 14 and an angel coming to you? Well, the angel says, greeting, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Did she stare? Did she break into tears? Did she start to run away? Probably some of each of that because the scriptures tell us that Mary was confused and disturbed. The angel saw that, being a sharp angel, okay, and simply said, don't be afraid. You're going to conceive and give birth to the Son of God. Now, wait a minute. How does that message calm down a 14-year-old teenager? Okay, I'm afraid. I'm not understanding all this. I'm a favored woman. Hey, don't be afraid, really. You're going to be pregnant in just a little bit, and it's going to be God in your womb. <laughs> Whoa. She looks at the angel and says, how? How? Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and your baby will be born holy. You're picturing this. You're, you're, you're looking at this. You're trying to walk through the scenarios. And I just got to tell you, her answer is shocking. This young lady in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 38, this is what she said. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary was all in without knowing completely what her yes had to mean. Although I do think she knew more than we thought. 
Now the story gets interesting, even more interesting. The scriptures tell us that Mary leaves home and visits one of her relatives. Well, it turns out to be Elizabeth. You know, the grandmother that got pregnant miraculously. This lady was well ahead of her in age. But just a little ahead of her in pregnancy and experiencing God supernaturally. What's so cool about this story is that Mary comes and no one knows what they all talked about. But what we do know in Luke chapter 1 is that Elizabeth encouraged Mary. She had walked with God for a much longer time. She knew of God's faithfulness. She also knew she was pregnant and that God had to do all of this. And I can just tell that Mary was comforted. This older, wiser woman encouraged the younger. You know, sometimes I think that as we get older, all of us, and some of us are a lot older than others, but if you're breathing, God has a plan. And one of the best plans, the greatest plans, over and over in the scriptures, is this community, is this an older man or an older woman who has walked longer with God and seen all that God has done and his faithfulness, encouraging those who are younger. That's what young moms and dads do with their kids at a very small age and as they grow up. But that's what the church is all about too. Now honestly, we can't forget about Joseph in the story. And most of you know that happens in Matthew chapter 1. And I'd like you to, to turn with me if you would, or you can look up on the screen, Matthew chapter 1. Now let me warn you again, there is just not a lot about Joseph in the scripture. There isn't. But this is a very important person in this play, in the plan that God has. Verse 18 of chapter 1. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Oh, you probably have mixed emotions when you hear this and, and wondering what the cultural things are, but, but basically, eventually, Mary talks to Joseph. I, I don't know what the conversation looked like. I, I, I don't know Joseph's immediate response, if there was quiet, if there's a bunch of questions. But eventually, Mary had to share with Joseph. Joseph, I, I just want to share something with you. It's extremely unusual, I know. But I am pregnant. But I have been faithful it is God in a miraculous way that allowed this. 
Now, I'm sure Joseph, in a million years, did not expect this scenario. Impossible. All right? Maybe there was some shame and some sadness that began to fester in his soul. But Joseph, at that time, culturally, had two choices. And because of our audience, I'll just mention one of them and then talk about the other. But one choice was stoning. And that may be hard to understand, but that was the Old Testament law. But the second choice is what we would call divorcing her quietly. We'll say, well, wait, she's engaged. Well, in that culture, the engagement was just as good as a marriage. Eventually, there was a marriage celebration that followed. But if a gal was betrothed, she was considered married. So Joseph had some choices. He could make a big stink, or he could quietly, shall we say, divorce her. He went with the latter. That was until later in that day. In, in starting in verse 20, this is what the Bible says. As he considered this, divorcing her, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And I'm going to jump to verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Joseph responded to the message of God. The first time he heard it, it was from Mary. She told him, a little bit too hard to understand. I'm not so sure I can believe you, even though I love you. (laughs) Later on, though, God made sure that he understood that everything Mary said was true. He heard it from Mary. Then he heard it from an angel. Now, in fact, we don't know much more about Joseph other than the fact, and this is so cool, that every time he heard from God, he obeyed. As you continue to read this story, God's going to reveal different things to Joseph, and his response is not no, or wait a minute, or maybe I'll get around to it. His response all the time was, the next day, he did it. Oh, I, I, I don't know how many um, unmarried young ladies are in our congregation right now. But I'd like to just say this. This is the guy you want to marry, okay? You want to marry a guy that every time God tells him to do something, he says, yes. Because I am telling you, you will have a marriage that will be unbelievable. He will love you like no one can love you. He will treat you like no one can treat you. He will be a dad if God gives you kids like no other dad. Anyway, Mary did marry Joseph. So Joseph embraced Mary along with her new reputation. Do you remember that? 
Remember, nobody is going to believe she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I, I don't think. Maybe not even her parents. Sure, Mary, we've heard that before. We all know how this happens. All right? She had that reputation for the rest of her life. Joseph knew it wasn't true. But what was Joseph's reputation? It probably wasn't sterling either at this moment. Those two were in cahoots. We're not even sure. They were both godly men or, or man and woman. So Joseph embraced Mary along with her new reputation and then made a 90-mile trip to Bethlehem with an extremely pregnant wife. (laughs) Do you remember being that pregnant? I mean, I know you're either pregnant or you're not. But do you remember how uncomfortable? Do you remember how big? Do you remember... Joseph, let's go to Bethlehem, Mary. I know it's 90 miles. I know it's not going to be easy, but that's what we need to do. Oh, my. He was a husband whose faith and mercy and obedience astound us. A husband willing to trust God, even when he heard, when he gets to Bethlehem, no room. Wait a minute, God. I am listening to you. (laughs) We're on the same page. I am honoring you. And this? No room. As the innkeeper ushers them to a stable and they get comfortable without family to give birth the very first time to a son. Think about that. Think about all the things that are coming together. Think about all that God is doing to orchestrate this. Now this puzzling story gets even more wonderful, actually. God chooses to give the good news that the Savior of all of mankind, his birth to shepherds. Now, even last week, if you were with us, you saw some pretty cute, adorable shepherds, right? Amen to that, right? And that is the reputation. Shepherds are cute and adorable. They always are. Except back in the first century, they were not cute or cuddly or anything. In fact, it was just not the reputation. It's hard for us to understand how negative people thought of shepherds. Shepherds were despised. They were the vagabonds of their culture. They had the reputation they could never, ever, ever tell the truth. They were just liars. So if you ask any young mom, do you want your son to grow up to be a shepherd? The answer is no, no. No, not my son. But God chose these lowly people, folks without greatest reputations, to deliver the greatest message that he could give mankind. 
Think about that. What does that tell you about our God? If you turn back to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel assured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby snugly, or a wrapped snugly. <laughs> you won't find the baby in a snugly. All right. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in streets of... Oh, boy. Strips of cloth lying in a manger. <laughs> That's the message? The message is the, the Messiah is here. <laughs> Good, where, where's the Messiah? Well, he's in a stable and he's in a manger. He's in a feeding trough. That's where you'll find him. Oh, well, God. Then, even though you thought it's hard to believe, it gets better. Look at verse 13 and 14. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So an angel comes to these, well, undesirables and gets the message and then to proclaim and put an exclamation mark on it, the skies light up. And there's a chorus by angels. Quite the sight. And after witnessing this praise fest, I, I don't know what you would do. I don't know, you know, if, if we would be excited, if we'd be frozen. But what happens is, is that they got together and said, hey, let's go see this guy. Let's go see the Messiah. And the scripture said they hurried off to Bethlehem to find Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus lying in a manger. And again, try to picture this. They just gave birth. It's their first child. They're doing the best they can. Baby Jesus is in a manger. And all of a sudden, one, two, three, five, twenty. I have no idea shepherds come trucking in. Hey, hi. I just want you to know, uh, an angel just told us that the Messiah was born. There was just this gigantic praise fest, and we just found him. Can we see Jesus? Well, yeah. Yeah, you, you can. And the scriptures say that after after this happened, after seeing Jesus, after this whole episode, the shepherds told their story to everyone that they met. Isn't that unique that God chose people who had a reputation for the most part of being a liar to be his spokespeople? <laughs> Would that have been your plan? 
God is a God of grace. He's a God of wonder. He loves to be able to change people's lives. Give them a story of grace and just says, go out and tell. Go tell the story that I just gave you. The story that changes your life. They talked about the angels and about Jesus to everyone they met. Whoa. Now, we close the story by talking about the magi, the wise men. You, you know, the guys who sought out and worshiped the king before giving baby Jesus gifts. We learn about the magi in Luke chapter 2. Now, let me just say, and we're not going to, I hope not offend too many people, but actually... The Magi should not be part of the nativity scene. All right? I hope that doesn't blow you away. Just about every nativity. It it would save you money if you didn't have to buy them. Right? (laughs) But, But the Magi just come later. I think it's an important part of the nativity scene. I, I do. They're just not in, you know, with the shepherds and in the stable and in the manger. All right? We also don't know how many there were. There's always three, right? There's even a song about it, a hit tune. We three kings, right? And, and yet we don't know. We know the three gifts and, and that. But let me try to fill in some blanks. This actually is so exciting. How did these scholars from the Orient even know about the Messiah? And how did they fit into this story? Well, most scholars will point back to Daniel. So many of you know Daniel. Daniel, um, his story is written in the Old Testament. And he's probably most famous for getting tossed into a den of lions, all right, and not being hurt. But that's the Daniel I'm talking about. And, and this Daniel lived about 600 years before Jesus was born. Now, back then, Daniel was a young man who loved God, but because of Israel's disobedience, the Babylonians came in, exiled them, and took all of the best of Israel back to Babylon. Now, again, to make a long story short, Daniel was chosen to serve in the royal palace because Daniel was strong, Daniel was healthy, and Daniel was good-looking. He was to be trained in language and literature of Babylon. He was to be well-versed in every area of learning. And the scriptures tell us that God gave him unusual aptitude for learning. And when the time came, Daniel just lit up the room. King Nebuchadnezzar says that when he met him, he was impressed with nobody more than Daniel and actually his three friends. And here's where this is going. Because of his unusual ability, he was promoted to a high position to actually rule over Babylon and to literally be over all the wise men of Babylon. He would be their leader. Now, this is 
like I said, where the story gets interesting. The wise men who came to see Jesus, almost everyone will probably say they came from Babylon. That was 700 miles away. The trip would normally take months. The only way this could have happened is if they had, for about 600 years, learned about Israel's God and the coming Messiah from Daniel. So Daniel's influence was there. Daniel talked about Yahweh. Daniel told them about the prophecies. And Daniel shared with them, no doubt, that a Messiah was going to come. So they not only were aware, but listen to this, how God orchestrated They were looking for this Messiah for over 600 years. God did that. And God sent them on this journey. So the Magi actually arrive in Jerusalem about three months after the birth of Jesus, at least, right in that area. King Herod at that time hears of the caravan, panics, and asks for some help. Again, to make a long story short, the wise men follow the light exactly to where the house is that Jesus is. Scriptures tell us that they show up, their caravan, their people, knock on the door, and there's Mary and Jesus in the house. These wise men come in bearing these unbelievable gifts, falling on their faces, worshiping the Messiah in a house. (laughs) In just a little bit, God is going to appear to Joseph and tell Joseph to move to Egypt because the territory is going to get pretty rough. There's no doubt that Joseph needed something to live on. And these gifts God provided so that this young couple could move to Egypt and be able to live. God's plan, all the different details. God's plan was Jesus. God's plan was to send his son to our world Because he loved you and me. Some of you say, yeah, well, we're just concerned about Jesus. But you know what's so interesting? No matter where you stand about Jesus. I was in Walgreens just four days ago, five days ago. All right? And as you stand in line, and as Walgreens always does, is have everything there so, you know, you can buy more before you check out. And I did. I I did. The plan worked. But this is what I bought. I am so amazed that people are still talking about Jesus 2,000 years later. Not everybody talks about Jesus in a positive way. But I know this, is that those who have met Jesus 
Their lives are different. Their lives are different. The joy of the Christmas message is so much richer and deeper and more beautiful than any other story ever told. Glory was wrapped in flesh and dwelt among us. So we could be wrapped in righteousness and dwell with God. Jesus lived a perfect life so he could be the perfect sacrifice for all that is wrong in both our lives and in this world. You see, without Jesus, our belief has no merit, our faith has no basis, and our hope has no anchor. In Jesus, we find the joy of believing. In Jesus, we know this to be a season of hope. In Jesus, we find the substance of our faith. Literally, Jesus showed us God. Jesus taught us how to live abundantly and walk with the Father. Jesus modeled for us what an obedient, humble life looks like. From the manger to the cross to glory. You see, God's plan is perfect. And who would have known as we look at all these nativity scenes maybe even in your own yard or under your own trees, that it could tell us so much. God so loved the world that our loving and gracious God sent Jesus to restore our broken relationship and give us life. As I close in prayer, I would just like you to ask this one question. What is your response today to the king lying in a manger? Let's pray. Father, I am overwhelmed by your grace in our lives. I know who I am. I know how I've offended you. I know how at times I have felt that I'm smarter than you or my way is better. And yet you loved me and you loved us. And you grew up as an ordinary man listening to his father all the way to the cross. And then you died to pay my debt so that I could have a relationship and I could experience abundance and eternal life now. God, your grace overwhelms me. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for loving us so much. Father, we're going to sing a song a song that's so familiar, a song that, that's part of Christmas. But it's a song, again, that just shares 
about the Son of God, who is our light, who is our redeeming grace, who is the King of kings. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.